Amen. Amen. Philippians chapter four. I think I got through all the, all, all the announcements. I've got a few here I could put on there, but I'm going to trust the Lord. Guys, as we get into the end of Philippians, I'll remind you that Paul wrote this book by and large to encourage the church at Philippi, to encourage them, to give them a little bit of instruction in the things that they were already doing and needed to keep doing. And if you're honest in your Christianity, you kind of already know what to do. You just need to be encouraged along the way to do what you already know to do. Amen. Recently, my wife and I met with a couple that was going through some stuff and needed some counseling, but there was nothing profound that we could offer to this couple because they already knew everything that they're supposed to do. But what they needed is someone just to encourage them and to hold their hand and to pray for them and kind of give them that boost. So too, the book of Philippians is Paul's encouragement and we need encouragement, but we also need instruction. How many of you guys need encouragement and instruction right now, 2022? We all need encouragement and instruction today. Let me remind you that is primarily gonna come through God's word. God's word is going to instruct you, it's going to encourage you, it's going to strengthen you, it's going to correct you. 2 Timothy 3.16 should be committed to memory to all of us. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for correction, for instruction, that God might equip us for every good work that he has for you and I. God wants to speak life into you through his word. Hebrews chapter four, verse six says that God's word is alive and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. It's able to discern the thoughts and intentions of your hearts. It's able to expose you. Isaiah 55 about God's word says that God's word goes out like rain and accomplishes things. When it rains, it produces fruit, it produces newness, it cools us off, it cleanses us. Psalm 119 says of God's word that God's word is a lamp for our feet, a light for our path. Back in the day, lamps and lights weren't like our high halogen LED lights that we have now where you can shine seven and a half miles away and you can burn a hole in the fabric. Back in the day, lamps and lights, literally, if you can imagine this, lamps and lights only lit up as far as you could maybe see in the next couple steps. Check me out. God's word says of itself, that's what it is. It is for your next step. It is for your next journey. It is for every step. And if you haven't been getting into God's word, you haven't been encouraged or instructed in God's word in this way, you've been looked at it that way, chances are you're off on your own path, doing your own thing, being weird. And you need God's word hidden in your heart. Psalm 138 verse two actually says that God's word has been elevated above his own name. In Hebrew and in Jewish settings to this day, they won't say God's name, it's too holy. As a matter of fact, they won't write God's name out. It's too holy. If you've ever had a Hebrew friend or an Israeli friend, when they write the word God, it's G-D. They won't write it out. They take the vowel out. That's where we get our acronym Yahweh, Y-H-W-H. It's the name of God in the Hebrew text, but they wouldn't even say it. And what does God say above his word? Is his, above his name is his word. His word. I say all that because we believe God's word. And one of the best ways to find courage and instruction in your life is to read God's word, to know God's word, to get in God's word, because God said it, I believe it, that settles it. It's that simple. I was at a wedding yesterday. I keep referencing this wedding I was at yesterday. It must've been a big deal. Anyways, I was there and I was talking with a friend and she quoted that to me. She goes, God said it, I believe it, that settles it. I said, absolutely. And when we know that, when we believe that, we can find that encouragement and that instruction because we don't know everything and we need God to continue to lead us. So now Paul has been telling us in verses 11, 12, and 13, and there's a real key to life in here. So we're gonna touch on it briefly before we move into the next topic of point that I believe Paul brings up. I'm gonna read verses 11, 12, and 13 again. This might be the third, fourth, or fifth week in a row we've done this. He says, not that I speak in regard to need, For I have learned, Paul's in jail, for I have learned, Paul doesn't have a lot, for I have learned, Paul is incarcerated, for I I have learned in whatever state I am 
to be content. I know how to be abased. That means to be brought low, to be chastised, humbled, to go without. And I know how to abound. That means to be in a blessed season, more than you need. To have two cars instead of one. To have a double income instead of one. To, to have more than you need. He, he knows how to do that and how to stay content. Because isn't it crazy? Even having things in this life doesn't necessarily automatically lead to contentment. Don't you think it does that? Well, as soon as I get another one, I'll be content. <laughs> you were content with the last one. You were content before you didn't have the last one. Now you got the, what are you thinking? Paul says, I've learned in whatever state, whether I got a lot or I got a little, everywhere, verse 12, he goes on to say in verse 12, I know how to be abased, how to abound everywhere. And in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Verse 13, how is he doing all this? Here's the answer. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Read verse 18. It says this. It says, indeed, I have all and abound. I am full, having received from Epaphroditus the things from you. Stop right there, eyes up here. I have all, I don't need anything, I'm completely good. Paul must know something we don't know. Paul must be doing something, believing something, exercising something that maybe we do know, but we're not taking advantage of and we need to be reminded of even today. He says, I've learned to be content. Contentment is a learned virtue. It's a learned practice. As a matter of fact, we know this. If you've ever had little kids and elementary student kids and teens in your house, they're the most discontented people in the world. I've got three of them in the back there. And as they get older, though, they, they learn contentment. And it's crazy when you have kids because as a, as a parent, you're providing for all their needs. You actually kind of, you know, if you're, do, if, if you're you know, fortunate, you have everything they need. You've got a house. they got everything paid for. We, we didn't start charging rent for our kids until they turned 10. <laughs> they had everything taken care of. And yet there's this discontentment as a young person because you're immature in those ways and then you become a young adult and maybe you get married. And as you get older though, in Jesus' name, have you discovered what Paul is discovering? I'm actually more and more content as I get older. You realize that the things of this world don't actually meet your needs the way that the world programs them and brands them to make you think, I need this and I have to have this. Paul says, no, 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 that's not how it works Paul says, whether he had a lot or a little, he was completely content. Now, let me just say this. What you have or what you don't have is completely irrelevant to your contentedness. This is gonna change your life. It's completely irrelevant to your contentedness. Right now, I guarantee you, your contentedness, that is your happiness, your joy, is hinging upon something out there, something you need to come, something you need to go away, something you need to see happen. And Paul's like, no, no, I, I've learned no matter what state I'm in to be content. Whether I have a bunch, which is a challenge to be contented when you have a bunch. Because we're naturally greedy. We're naturally selfish. We naturally want more. And Paul says, I've also learned to be content when I'm all alone. And he is enough. This is the secret of life. And it's so important that we understand this. Because I believe that God wants us to live full no matter what comes our way. And I can't predict the future, but we're having a good season right now, are we not? It's a good season, 2022, things are good. We just went through a difficult season. Our contentment was tested and challenged. Our freedoms were taken away and challenged. And all these things and pressures were put upon us and fears and all, all that stuff. I, I, I don't think it's gonna get any better in the next five to 10 years. So where's our contentment? And the secret of life isn't in getting what you want, but it's in wanting what you get. And when you realize that, it'll change everything. And I'm going to ask this question. How many of you guys would, don't answer, but would say, yeah, I'm actually just, I'm, I'm a discontented person. I'm just not happy right now. The happiest people in the world are the happiest people. 
You can think about that over lunch. <laughs> the happiest people in the world are the happiest people. Just be one. Be a happy person. Choose to be happy. Oh, I, I gotta, I gotta choose to be happy. Don't you want to be the happiest person in the world? Don't you want to, I want to be the happiest person in the world. Well, just do it then. Be the happiest. Don't want whatever you get. Get whatever you don't, you know, want what you, you heard me. Don't wait till you get what you want. Want what you get and you'll be the happiest person. And it could be that, I touched on this last week, that where you're at right now in any sort of discontentment or testing, that you're there on purpose, listen, until you get to that place of contentment and the Lord will then move you forward in your life. If you're a good parent, you do this with your kids. If you've given to your kids everything they need and they're discontent, okay, a good parent wouldn't just give their kids something new. A good parent would wait and walk with their child through that season of life and say, hey, something's wrong here. You're you're missing out. I can't just keep giving you more stuff because you don't know the lesson yet here. Every person here this morning and those watching at home online are in a season of testing to see if we'll be content right where we're at. We see this demonstrated in the life of Joseph. God told Joseph at a young age that he was gonna do something great in his life. And then he went through a series of testings. And Joseph, you know, he and Daniel are the only Old Testament uh, characters that no sin is actually recorded. They were sinners, but they lived a perfect life. They were types of Jesus, if you would put in seasons of testing where both of them chose to be content no matter what came their way and God blessed them, used them, protected them, advanced them and continued to mature them. I would just say, man, let's do the same thing. It's hard as Americans because we get catalogs in the mail every single week showing us how discontent we should be. Don't you just love those Costco catalogs? I get about six or 700 emails every single day from all these ads, you know, I'm like, well, check this out. Did you know this, this all on sale? I just, I just like to just covet, you know, I just kind of scroll through and see what I don't have and what I need. And then I wonder at the end of the day, like, why I'm mad, why I'm discontent. We live in a world that is not conducive to what Paul is experiencing here in jail. He had learned to be content. And again, the happiest people aren't the ones who get what they want, but they want what they get. 60 Minutes did an episode on this, a study on happiness and contentment years and years ago. And they deduced that the happiest and most contented people in the world all had many things in common, but the two they had in common the most, you could write this down and just consider it in your contentment levels this week. The number two things they had in common were number one, they lived in the moment. This is a trip. They lived in the moment, they were present. They were right where they were at. They weren't thinking about next. They weren't thinking about other. They weren't on their phones. The, the phone, by the way, is the opposite of in the moment. Did you know that? It's the opposite of in the moment. You know, and if you ever seen somebody content on their phone, they're lying. Okay, when you're on your phone, you know, that's like they say that these might cause cancer. They cause ulcers for sure. I know that's for sure. <laughs> Live in the moment. Live in the moment. Be all in. Jesus said, "Take no thought for the future. Take no thought for the worries of tomorrow. There's enough for today." The happiest and most content people are the ones who choose to be all in, trusting the Lord, relinquishing the fears, all the pressures, all the things that are out of your control. They've done some studies that most people spend the majority of their time worrying about things that might happen or worrying about things that have already happened and only about 5% of what's actually happening. We call that distracted driving, right? You know, you're like, where? And isn't it crazy? We spend so much time worrying over here and fighting with the future that doesn't yet exist And we also spend so much time in the past fighting with what has happened. Let's stop that. Paul says, no, no. 
I've, I've actually learned some things. The second thing that people had, according to 60 Minutes, that led to contentment, not only did they live in the moment, but they were generous rather than stingy. They were giving, which is the exact opposite of human nature. Human nature teaches us that the more we get, the happier we're gonna be. The Bible teaches the opposite. The Bible teaches that the more we give, the happier we're gonna be. You can make a living, we have to, by what we get, but you make a life by what we give. This is a principle I have to continue to remind myself of because I I don't believe it in my flesh. And yet God tells us, and this is where the majority of the sermon is gonna be going here, is that if we trust the Lord in giving like he gave, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave. God's a giver. All good gifts come from above. God loves to give, and we're made in his image, but you and I are made in his image, and we're tainted. We're, we're broken. And if we find ourselves living in the moment, being generous, I promise you, we're gonna find ourselves with a better contentment. The word contentment actually means, in the Hebrew and in the Greek, it means to be contained. Let me just unpack this, because I believe it's profound when you connect it to verse 13. To be content means I don't need any outsourced influences or resources to make me happy. I don't need any other substances. I don't need any other things to make myself, I'm contained. Now we know that we're not self-sufficient, but we're Christ-sufficient. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ here this morning, if he indwells you, if he lives in you, you are contained. You have everything you need to live godly in Christ Jesus. Everything you need to resist sin and temptation. Everything you need to endure trials, difficulties, and testings. Everything you need has been deposited into your account right now. And yet how many of us are just waiting? Lord, don't you see what I'm going through? Lord, can't you help me? Lord, and we're looking for these other things. And that word contentment is, I believe, gonna change your life. Now, let's just go ahead and look at verse 13. Paul says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. We use this verse out of context in a number of different ways. A lot of athletes have this on their, you know, T-shirts, and we think about, you know, grabbing a baseball bat and hitting a home. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You know, you can also strike out through Christ who strengthens you. You can endure that difficulty. It's not by way of physical achievement that this verse needs to be applied. This verse is supposed to be applied. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me when you're undergoing testing, difficulties, where you're abounding or you're being abased. It has nothing to do with the government. It has nothing to do with your spouse. Nothing to do with your physical health. Nothing to do with your paycheck. Nothing to do with the things around you. Your outside sources. If you have Christ, you are contained. It's there. Now, this is the challenge, right? This is the test. And if you're a believer here, a seasoned believer, you know this to be true. You've experienced it. You've also known you're not living this for a season or two. You're a believer. You believe these things, but you're kind of waiting for the government, waiting for your kids, waiting for your spouse, waiting for your health in order to find this. Paul says it. I'm going to remind you again. He learned to be content through Christ who strengthens him. Let's do that, church. Because what the world needs today is to see a bunch of people that are self-contained. It needs to see people that are self-contained that don't need anything else around them. They're completely happy, completely cared for, not waiting and whining for somebody else to do their thing. And that should be, needs to be, ought to be the church of Jesus Christ. Because we're asking people to to partner with us, aren't we? Hey, come to church. We whine over here too. It's great. Hey, come to church. We're a bunch of belly acres also. It's awesome. Come on in. What do you have? I remember one time I was going through a season in my life. I was so busy and so overwhelmed, so perplexed that the Lord convicted me and said, Luke, would you ever want anybody to walk in your shoes right now? And I repented. I said, no, I wouldn't. He says, it's because you're doing it wrong. You're a blessed man. 
I've given you everything. And you're walking around as if the whole weight of the world's on your shoulders. You need to adjust. Paul says this to his friends in Philippi. Hey guys, this is in response to the gift that they've given to him. Hey, I didn't need the gift. I just want you guys to know that. You guys sent an offering? So cool. Don't get it twisted though. I'm good. I have everything and I need nothing. Whoa, wow. How's that? Through Christ, he strengthens me. And then he's gonna talk out of the other side of his mouth in just a minute and talk about the giving that they did give and how imperative it is that people do give. Without giving, without supporting, without serving, without sacrificing, without worshiping in that way, it's only one half of the picture, only one half of the coin. And let me just say this, I'll probably say it a few more times. What happens in our life inevitably is that we lose focus on verse 13. I can do all things through Christ. We lose sight of Jesus. We, we, we fail to factor in Jesus and what he's done. This is why we take communion every single Sunday. This is why we love to worship Jesus. Jesus first, Jesus last, Jesus ever. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Because inevitably you'll lose focus of Jesus and you'll start to waver in your allegiance to him, to his people, and to the call. And you'll start to walk not contented, but conflicted. See, the heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. Have you figured this out? It's not just a cool cliche. If you're having a problem, if a problem is having you, if something's going on, it's your heart. It's not really the problem. It's not them. It's not they. It's not us. It's not the, it's the heart. And so when you focus your attention on Jesus Christ, your marriage will not just survive, it will thrive. No matter what condition. Your singleness will not just survive. What was me? It will thrive. He's enough. Your ministry, your challenge, your difficulty, all things through Christ who strengthens me. And when you put your mind and attention and focus on him, because the main thing is to keep the main thing and the main thing. And once we lose sight of Jesus in our sufferings or in our blessings, we won't properly navigate the waters of life and give him the glory he deserves. And listen, reap the blessings that he offers while we're being abased or abounding. It's so simple. Let me just say this and move on. Right now, let's choose to be content. Let's just choose to be content. I believe when Joseph was in jail, he had come to a place of contentment, being wrongly accused, forgotten, betrayed, sold as a slave, tried to be murdered by his brothers, and finally through a bunch of difficult times, he just became a good prisoner. And it was then that Pharaoh was plagued with a dream and the only person that could interpret the dream was Joseph. You don't know what God's going to do next but you must believe that he's gonna do something for you in your contentment, even in your testing. He's going to take your offering of contentment, not my will, but thy will be done, Lord. Take my life right where you're at, Lord. Take my life, use it however you want. I accept it in Jesus' name. And maybe today you would do that in your mind. Your heart's not there yet, but you could do it in your mind. I was talking to a sister this morning about the condition of our hearts and minds and knowing what to do, the right thing to do. And as I was talking to her, she said, what if I do the right thing? I'm gonna be faking it. I said, that's a confession, and that's the first step. And it's okay to confess and say, hey, I'm having a hard time here. I don't like this. This is difficult. And the, even the dogs cry out. <laughs> Start with that confession. Just bark it to the Lord. Now look at verse 14. That was a great segue. Thanks, dog. 
We were done, with, we were done there anyways. <laughs> Nevertheless, Pastor Paul circles that word, circles back, seeing a very important point here, saying, guys, I don't need your gift. I'm good. Nevertheless, verse 14, he says this, you have done well that you shared in my distress. The gift you gave was the right thing to do. To be a giving Christian is the right way to be a Christian, to serve, to sacrifice, to worship in that way. As a matter of fact, let me read a few verses and we'll unpack them. He says, nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church shared with me concerning giving and receiving, but you only. For even in Thessalonica, you sent aid once and again for my necessities. Stop right there. He's reminding them, you guys have been generous from the beginning. When I got there at Lydia's household and I, she hosted me and, and she got saved in her whole house and everyone got saved. And when I took off with Silas and Timothy and, and Barnabas, or Barnabas wasn't there, Saul, Timothy and Luke, when we were all there, man, you guys, get, you guys took such a, a generous offering. And then when we were in Thessalonica, hanging out, we needed money. Guess who didn't help us? The Thessalonians. But you guys did. Appreciate that. I'm gonna talk about that at length. It's, it's kind of crazy that he would throw the Thessalonians under the bus in that way. Verse 17, he says, not, and here's his heart, please listen. Not that I seek the gift, that's the offering. You guys have been so generous to me, I appreciate that. But I do seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all and abound, I'm full. Having received from Epaphroditus the things sent from you, that's the gift. He says, it came to me, but listen, It was a sweet-smelling aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to who? To God. Key concept here. He says, you guys gave me the gift. I didn't even need it. I'm grateful for it, though. Ministry costs money. In Rome, when you were incarcerated, they didn't have a county system where they would pay for your bed and pay for your books. Nothing would be given to you at all except a death sentence. And so if you needed help, it had to come from an outside source. Not only was he being taken care of while incarcerated, but the ministry, just like ministries now, are nonprofit. That is, they're supported by gifts and donations from the people of God. So he says, hey, I'm I'm good. I I can handle it all, but thanks for giving your gift. It was the right thing to do. And he says, when you gave to me, it smelled good to God. You ever smell a barbecue when you're real hungry? I was in Portland on, on Wednesday or Thursday, maybe Tuesday, I can't remember. And I was there with Nemo. Uh, we were, went to a Timbers game and we rented this hotel right by Providence Park, uh, there by, you know, where the Tim- Portland Timbers play soccer. And we were right there. I was on this upper balcony just sitting there and this guy lives down below and he lit up his barbecue grill and the mesquite chips, man, were smoking and the stuff. And I told Nemo, hey, Nemo, let's go make friends with this guy. This guy's gonna, you know, and that guy did not wanna be my friend. So we, went, we got hot dogs. Anyways, it smells so good. Paul says something. He says, when you gave to me, it smelled good to God. You need to know this. If you're a giver, if you're a worshiper in this way, some people get stingy in their giving. And I'm gonna talk about this in a little bit. And they they don't wanna give to an organization. So I'm just gonna give to God. You know it's impossible to give to God outside of some ministry or organization. You can't do it. God has chosen to allow it to be this way where we give to organizations and ministries and churches and it smells good to God. It's an offering to God through the giving of our support to ministries like this. Don't you want to be a, a, a good aroma to the Lord? And it's not just in our finances. It's in our days, dollars, and deeds. Does this thing just go out? What just happened? Sort of. You still me? Check one, two. Going back and forth? It's all over the speakers. Here, check one, two. Where's that dog at? <laughs> check one, two. Why would it just, is it better now? Now it sounds, no, okay, yeah. What are we talking about? The, the barbecue? Barbecue? 
What were we talking about? Where was I going? Pleasing aroma timbers. No, we were talking about that. Hot dogs. No, that's old. That's old. Giving to God through the church. Yes. Chance, my man. And you're the one who reminded me of it. That's the one I looked at you. Because it's not just hot dogs. Because it's not just in our writing of checks or giving of our dollars, but it's in what we do with our time. It's what we do with our talent. It's what we do when we hear there's an announcement. Hey, we need some help at the school. Hey, we need some help at the garage sale. Hey, we need some help in Sunday school. Hey, we need some help with life groups. Hey, we need some help with this ministry. Hey, we need some help with the mom's totes. Hey, we need some help with the middle schoolers. Hey, we need some help at the camp. And you say, yeah, I, I could cancel my plans. I could do that. I could, I could show up with my time, with my talent. Maybe some of you guys have a talent to offer the Lord. And when you offer it to the Lord, as a matter of fact, if you read the Old Testament, there are countless accounts of men and women who are gifted artisans, if that's the right word, carpenters and skilled craftsmen who give of their time. They're special warriors, men and women combined that give to the Lord their services, their acts of good towards the Lord. Paul tells us that this is a sweet smelling offering to him. Look at verse 19. He says this to that only special group of people. He says, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. You guys ever heard that verse before? My God shall supply all your needs. In context, it's only to people who are giving. There's so many verses we quote out of context, you know? And Paul says this to his friends at Philippi. You guys are too legit to quit. From the beginning. And I would just say this. If you are a young person here, okay, be a tither from the beginning. Be a worshiper from the beginning in that way. My parents taught me to tithe. Joe and Arla Frechette right here. They taught me to tithe at a young age that the first 10% of everything you make at that garage sale, the first 10% you make when you wash a car, the first 10% you make when you find a $20 bill on the ground, the first 10% you make, hey, give that to the Lord. And if you don't start as a young person, it's gonna be harder to start as an older person. And some people say, well, once I make more money, then I'll give. Did you know that those who make $20,000 or less per year, that's below the poverty line, $20,000 or less per year are eight times more likely to be givers than those who make $75,000 or more per year? That's crazy. People who make less are more grateful, by and large statistically, and willing to give than those who make more. Something happens. And it may even be this weird lie that says, well, you know, I want to believe in this sowing and reaping principle, but I'm already reaping pretty good. I already got everything taken care of. Why should I be a worshiper in this way? All these things happen in our minds. That's why we need God's word to encourage us and to instruct us. It's the right thing to do. Now look at verse 14 again. I read to you some context. I want you to see this. And especially verse 17 where he says, I don't seek the gift, but I do seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Verse 14, let's just start there. Nevertheless, you've done well that you shared in my distress. So Paul says it's the right thing to give. And we know that, that in the scriptures, you'll never see, at least in the Old Testament, you'll never see a worshiper come to worship God empty-handed. There's no verses. Every time somebody came to worship the Lord, they would bring an offering of some sort, a sacrifice. Even if it was a sacrifice of praise or a clap offering or something, they would come with something to give to God. Could be your days, dollars, your deeds, your time, talent, and treasure. And we give money to the Lord and we give of our lives to the Lord because it's biblical, amen? We respond in that way. Now, let me just say this though. Not only is it essential that we worship God with our days, dollars, and deeds. Okay, we we believe that, right? But let's be honest, it's also sensitive in our stewardship Because over the years, men and women, pastors and ministry leaders have abused the flock, have fleeced the flock, and have taken money and used it out of proportion. And it's one of those things that's a sensitive issue for me. As a matter of fact, there's a few things I don't like to talk about as a pastor. 
Okay, the first thing I don't like to talk about and deal with is other people's sins and when people are erring in their ways and getting in their grill, kind of in that prophetical ministry, telling people they're wrong. It's not as fun as it might sound. Uh, honestly, as a pastor, when I show up to certain events, it's kind of like the wind and the air goes out of the room, like, ooh, a pastor's here. Oh, you know. <laughs> I don't like talking about it. But it's my job. It's my job. Because if I don't warn the flock about what's going on in their lives, what's going on in the peer view, if I don't warn the flock, instead of warning the flock, we're just feeding and fattening the flock for the kill. So we need to warn each other. The second thing I don't like to talk about is money and giving to the church. Because of all the historical abuse that has happened in other churches and mainstream media and all the things that have happened in people's lives and all the accusations and the instant connection that if you guys don't give to this church, I can't pay my bills. And so as we come into those awkward scenes, though, we know, and we already established this, that giving your life, your time, talent, treasure, your days, dollars, and deeds is biblical, amen? As a matter of fact, I'll say it this clearly, being a Christian includes giving. Now, I'm going to say that with a statistic behind it. 247 million people in America identify as Christian, Okay, but only one and a half million, 247 million, one and a half million actually give in a supporting way to a local ministry. I'm a Christian. Really? What does that even mean? I love Christmas, you know. <laughs> I don't know what it means. And there's a challenge within the scriptures to serve the Lord with everything that he's given to us. And it comes back to that contentment issue. The heart of every issue is an issue of your heart. Your money, your time, your talent, and treasure, that's between you and the Lord. But Paul's talking about it. Now, if you go to South Beach Church here, we don't talk about money unless the scriptures talk about money. Chances are we'll be talking about money a little bit more as we build a building. You're gonna hear a little more, you know? You could expect that. But here it's in the scriptures. Paul's addressing it head on. He's dealing with this subject that I, I don't like to pressure people. By the way, can I just say this right now? South Beach Church is the most generous church I've ever been a part of. Okay, yeah, praise the Lord. It's crazy. The most generous, it's the only church I've ever been a part of. No, I'm just kidding. It's the most generous church I've ever been a part of. We've never passed an offering basket, never passed the hat. We've let you know some of the needs we have historically and you guys have gone to the table to make sure those needs are met. But the faithfulness of the men and women who give here is astounding. We've always had our bills paid. We've always had a little bit more money at the end of the month than we need to put away. Some months we don't have a little bit more and we have to trust the Lord for the next month. But at the end of every single year for the last 12 years, this is coming up on our 12 year anniversary on August 29th, for the last 12 years, we've had every annual year more money at the end than we've spent. And we believe God's been preparing us to have a savings account for the building project that's coming. And I wanna encourage you in that. As I read some of the statistics here and some of the things and the way people look at money, I, it's a tiptoe subject for me because you guys have been so stinking faithful. But it's also my job to make sure that you know that it's a biblical principle to give, to serve, to worship for so many reasons. Jesus gave 40 different parables in his life. 25% of those parables, 11 of them have to do with money, illustrations of wealth, did you know that the Bible throughout Old Testament and New Testament has 500 different verses that speak of faith and prayer and 2,300 verses that speak about money, finances, and stewardship? You would think the Bible's all about faith and prayer, wouldn't you? But God knows that the way to our hearts is through our wallets, that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. And I believe God's actually put us in a system, a broken system, a messed up system where the commodity and the resources are finances in order to work on us and work through us. 
when we get to heaven, you know what they're paving the streets with, right? Gold. Okay, so it's going to be a different story up in heaven. Right now, we're like, oh, I got a little bit of gold. And it's like, that's asphalt. <laughs> Why you got that? <laughs> Don't mind. Read the book. I got some instruction for you. Did you know that if every single Christian, everyone that claims to be a Christian, somebody who loves Jesus, loves the kingdom of God, loves the people of God, if every single Christian tithed 10% of what they make, that it would generate $165 billion per year, which would eradicate immediately world hunger, world illiteracy, and all debt. The kind of debt that we share with one another. If every Christian just said, I'll do it, 10%. I'll trust the Lord in that. I'll worship him in this way. And I would say it additionally, that if you tithe and you worship in that way, you make a decision on your paycheck, listen, it's gonna help you make another decision to worship the Lord when another way to worship the Lord presents itself. If you deny the Lord in worshiping him in, in one way or two or, or three, you're gonna be less likely to worship him in the ways that he's prescribed by way of serving, by way of singing, by way of abstaining from this world. Don't raise your hands, but how many of you guys struggle to be obedient, at least in a couple different ways that the Lord's called us to be obedient? Okay, I just said, don't raise your hand. A few of you disobeyed. <laughs> don't you hate it when you just blow it? Not right now, but when you blow it and you're like, and you sin, you're like, oh, I knew I wasn't supposed to do it, and you did it. Don't you hate that? I hate it. It's the worst. Tithing and giving of your first 10% is actually not that hard to do. It's literally a clerical formality. It's something you do. At the beginning, here's what I do. At the beginning of every single month, I go through my finances and I send checks to a lot of different people. I send a check to Wells Fargo. I'm buying my house from them. That's where my mortgage is at. I send a check to AT&T. I send a check to the city of Newport. That's where I get my water from. I'm so grateful for that water. Just turn it on. It comes right. I'm so grateful. PUD gets a little bit of my money, you know, because I got power. I flip the lights on and all that works. And progressive, you know, I got three cars to be insured now that I got a teenager in my house and all, and, and, then I, and then at the U.S. Bank, what I do, I'm doing all this on U.S. Bank bill pay. I, I tell them, hey, would you send a check to South Beach Church, P.O. Box 950. Send them a check. And, and, and I've been doing that since I got here. I've been doing that as a Christian since the beginning, as under the Lord. And I'm not saying this to boast, but the Lord recently challenged me. He said, Luke, I want you to increase your giving. You already give above 10%. That's what the Freshettes do. We already do. And he said, I want you to do, give more. There's principles in the scripture. Jesus says, you will not outgive me. Try it. But you will realize and you will note when you do not give to me, it'll be seen in other ways. The book of Haggai, it's an Old Testament book. You, you can read it later. It's like two or three chapters. It might be more, I might be wrong. Read it. And in the book of Haggai, Haggai shows up to the children of Israel and they're about to do a building project. And he looks at them and he prophesies and says, here's the problem. You guys all have really nice houses. He says, you guys live in paneled walls and ceiling houses but my house lies in ruins. And he said, because of this, here's the problem. He says, you're putting money into bags, but the bags you have have holes in them. So the more money you put in, the less money you actually have. And he says, and the clothes you're putting on, he's a prophet, so he's talking all illustratively. He says, the clothes you're putting on, they don't actually keep you warm. There's never enough to make you happy because my house lies in ruins when you guys have taken care of all of your needs. And he prophesies. Malachi, along the same time period, comes along and prophesies to the children of Israel. And he says, you've robbed me. And they replied, how did we rob you? And he says, in the tithes and offerings. You didn't give to me what was mine. And when you give to the Lord, or when you don't give to the Lord, listen, it's not that you're not giving to the Lord. It's that you're robbing from him. 
That's big time. That's a big deal. I, unfortunately, am not perfect. I do sin. I have issues. I have problems that I'm working through. And yet I don't want to be associated in the camp of robbing God, stealing from him. So that to me is an easy one. Like, okay, I'm gonna, <laughs> first of the month, I'm going to make sure I'm not robbing God, that's for sure. And then the Lord calls me on my time and my talent. Luke, I've given you some gifts. Are you freely giving those back to the body of Christ? Are you serving in the way that you should? Are you loving people unconditionally? Are you discipling the folks at South Beach Church? Are you available to them? Oh, Lord, help me not to rob you. Are you giving that time to your kids, to, to the kids that are growing up and to your, to your wife that I've asked you to love and to steward? All of it's the Lord's and he's asked us to bless him in this way. And Paul tells us this is a good thing. Now, let me give you five reasons why tithing should happen, why giving ought to be a part of your life. Number one, it's biblical and obedient. So to not tithe, to not give would be unbiblical and disobedient. How many people want to be in that camp? I don't, you know, I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. Number two, tithing keeps your heart soft and unclogged from this world. As you give of the tithe, as you give worshipfully, as you give of your life, you don't get so heart clogged in all the problems of this life. You don't get heart hearted. God will use you and are, by the way, the more you put forward, the more you put your heart in heaven, the more you'll be heavenly minded and therefore earthly good and the more, more you'll have to enjoy in heaven. Third reason why it's important to tithe, tithing allows us to invest in the things that will last forever. This is crazy. Most people in generations past knew this and believed this. Our generation is all about investing now making sure you have your retirement, making sure you have your second house, making sure you have your mortgage paid off, making sure all these good things, making sure you have your life insurance established, making sure you got all the trusts and all the things and all the stuff in here. Good job. Don't forget though, we ain't staying here much longer. It's all gonna burn. Number four, tithing keeps things happening for the glory of God and the good of others. You realize that, right? The only reason why this church exists, the only reason why the technology exists, the only reason why we have the amazing bathrooms we have, isn't that funny? We don't, if you've never been here at South Beach Church, we don't have amazing, we don't have, the only reason why ministry exists and goes forward is through the giving of God's faithful people. It's the only reason. That's why we tithe. Fifthly and lastly, tithing grows your faithfulness to him and it frees his faithfulness to you. It allows him to bless you. Did you know you can't outgive God? He will be in debt to no man. Wrestle with this. Lord, I want to respond. I want to give to you. So try it. I will outgive you every single time. I will bless you. I will fill you. I will fight for you. I will watch you. Here's six quick reasons, though, why people don't give to the local church. Number one, the most famous reason why people don't give, and this is why we're talking about it, is they don't know they're supposed to. They just weren't raised that way. Maybe they're late at the party. Parents didn't teach them. They didn't read the Bible. They don't understand how it works. Number two, they don't recognize the importance of the first fruits principle. They don't realize that this is the principle. You give to God of the first fruits and it opens up more fruits for you. They don't realize that there's something behind that first act. Number three, they don't understand the importance of the local church. The hope of the world is the local church, the light and the salt of the world. And as you find a local church you can believe in that is going to impact the local community, that is going to disciple people, that is going to share the message of Jesus Christ, support those ministries. The church is the hope of the world. Number four, they think that the little that they can give is simply not worth giving. What, I don't even make very much money. Like if I don't, if I don't give my 200 bucks a month, what, 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 the church doesn't care. It's not a big deal. If every single person thought that way, we would go backwards. 
If you know the Bible, you know that Jesus, when he was there at the temple, guys were given big amounts of money. Blowing the horn, doing all kinds of stuff. Jesus noticed none of it. And then the little lady with the two mites, she gave a few copper coins, pennies, and Jesus stopped the conversation and said, did you see, not what she gave, starts with H, rhymes with ow, how she gave. She gave out of her poverty. It was a real sacrifice for her. Jesus said, that was crazy. And she gave, she gave more than everybody today. And people think, well, doesn't, my, my amount's not that much. Listen, amount is not as important as the attitude. Attitude over amount, why you're giving, how you're giving. Two, two more reasons why people don't give to the local church. And then we're gonna move on with some closing thoughts. People feel burned by a previous church. Something happened, maybe you got some residual baggage from another church, somebody did something. You gotta, you gotta leave that baggage at the door. Trust the Lord. It's as unto God. And number six, they distrust current church leadership. People look at the leadership and they just wonder. I'll tell one story, it's a sad story. One of my pastoral friends, I'll say it at that, was invited to a board meeting at his church that he had started. And the board got together and they looked at him and they pulled out some money and set it on the table. And they said, this is last month's and the months before is tithing. We've not given it. And we're not gonna give it until you stop preaching grace. This pastor friend of mine had started moving into this idea that God loves us unconditionally and grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. And these people said, you know, we're not gonna give until you change. We don't trust you. My pastor friend at this board meeting says, fellas, I'm gonna miss you guys. (laughs) Taking grace over cash. Listen, as Paul is thanking the church and encouraging the church, and challenging the church. He reminds them, from the beginning you guys gave, from the beginning you guys continued. Can I just remind you, keep giving. Maybe you gave at one point, maybe you give periodically, maybe you give every once in a while. Be a giver, be a faithful giver. Make it part of your worship. God's principles don't change. Methods are many, principles are timeless. And as you trust the Lord for this, I promise you, I guarantee you, God will fight for you. God will meet you. God will lead you. God will, according to his riches and mercy and glory, bless you in the way that he deems fit. And if you don't trust him with your days, dollars, and deeds, and your time, talent, and treasure, if you don't do that, in a large sense, you're on your own. You're putting yourself out there no matter how much you get, just like those bags with holes in them. You'll be like the church when Haggai was the prophet. But Paul says, verse verse 17, he says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that abounds to your account. Indeed, I have all. I I don't need anything. This is a sweet smelling aroma to the Lord. Did you know that there's an account kept? In the book of Ezra, if you haven't read it recently, it's a building project. I was reading it over the weekend. Such an encouraging book. Ezra gets these orders from the Lord to rebuild the temple, and so he starts building. Well, immediately some people start to complain, and the city council members show up, and some letters come in, and and they're stopped for 15 years, and they have a problem. And the Bible says that a prophet comes and stirs them up again, and they keep the building project going. All kinds of problems in building, and, and yet when the building finally came to fruition, there's a record of every single man, every single woman that showed up with a gift to give. It's recorded their names and what they gave. There's an account. God's keeping track. Why? In order to bless you. In order to thank you. In order to enjoy what God has done for you. Last story is this. Luke chapter five. Jesus is preaching. And the Bible says that the disciples, Peter, James, and John, and Andrew had fished all night and they were cleaning their nets. And Jesus got to the Sea of Galilee there and he saw these empty boats. And you know what Jesus said? He said, can I have one of your boats? 
Peter, Peter said, yeah, what, what do you want to do? And so Jesus gets in the boat and he says, hey, Pete, let's go out a little bit deeper. Push me off to the shore. And so him and Jesus are out in the water now. Jesus is commandeering this boat. He's a pirate. And he's doing so because there's so many people and it's an amplification of the, the sound of his voice would go across the water and up on the hill and he'd be able to reach more people. It's just like our modern day technology. We pay for the internet, we pay for the cameras, we pay for all this stuff to reach more people. And Peter gets done preaching. Jesus gets done preaching in Peter's boat. Peter's tired, he wants to go home. You know what Jesus says next? He says, hey Pete, let's go fishing now. Peter resists. Peter says, Jesus, you're a good preacher. You're not a very good fisherman. He says, we've been fishing all night. They're not biting. There's no fish. Jesus said, did I stutter? Let's go fishing. And Jesus says, put your nets down for a haul. And they go out to the deep. And Peter finally says, all right, that's your word. We'll do it. Puts his nets down. And you guys know the story. They began to pull up the nets after Jesus used his boat, after he borrowed his stuff, after Peter followed him obediently. And they start to pull up the nets. And Peter's looking at the nets and the nets begin to break and they start putting the fish in the boats. And there's so much that he calls to James and John. He's like, guys, get your boat over here. We can't, all this, there's too much for us. We need another boat. The second boat shows up. They fill the second boat and both boats begin to sink. And Peter responds, oh my gosh, you're the Lord. You're the Lord. And in that very moment, they, they come back to shore. Their boats are almost sunk. Man, there's fish and chips for everybody. And as soon as they get back to the boat, Jesus says, now I want you to leave all that and follow me. Can you imagine that? Biggest haul of your life. Miraculous catch. And Jesus immediately says to these boys, leave it. And the Bible says they forsook all and followed him. Do you think Peter has any regrets now? In heaven, letting Jesus have his boat? Following Jesus? The Lord will show you. He's given those principles. He'll show you. This church has been faithful and I prophesy and predict that we will continue to see God's provision through this church. And we're gonna continue to see God's ministry through this church. And we're gonna continue to see God save people through this church. He's going to do it because he's already done it and that's what he does. And he's gonna partner with us to do it. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much that Lord, you're for us, not against us that, Lord, your goodness has gone behind us and cleaned up our mess, and you've gone before us, Lord, and you've established our ways. And in Jesus' name, Lord, we surrender to you, and I'll be the first, Lord. We talked a lot about money, but I, I just want to surrender my heart to you. Every aspect of my heart, my life, Lord, everything I have, and maybe you're here with me this morning, you would just repent and kind of just groan in your soul a little bit in those areas where you've been selfish, where you've been small, where you've been rebellious and sinful. You haven't been godly. You haven't been his daughter. You haven't been his son. You've been saved, but you've been doing your own thing. Lord, and I just say, Lord, help me to live for you, to give everything to you, not just my first fruits, Lord, but my entire life. We love you. Thank you for saving us. And if you're not a believer here this morning, Jesus would call you just like he did Peter. Say, hey, trust me. Follow me, let everything else go and follow me and I will make you a fisher of men. I will bless you, I will change you, I will care for you. And Jesus never let Peter out of his sight. He washed him, he walked with him, he restored him and he used him. Lord, would you do that with us too? We give our lives to you. If you haven't given your life to Jesus Christ yet, give your life to him right now in Jesus' name. Accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. That's between you and him. Do that right now. Do that right now. Say, Lord, I give you my life. I believe, Lord, that what you did on the cross was sufficient for my sins. I believe, Lord, that you were buried in my place. I believe that you rose victoriously over sin and death. I believe, Lord, that you ascended into heaven. Now you rule and reign. I believe, Lord, that you're coming again one day to take me home. And I believe, Lord, that your Holy Spirit lives with me until that day. Lord, we believe these things. Would you help us to walk these things out? No, bless us, Lord, this beautiful afternoon and all that you're gonna do in the next two weeks, Lord, uh, coming up with these events. 
pray blessings on the garage sale, Lord, and all the things that you're gonna provide, and the school, Lord, on the land, the hill, the building, all the whole, the journey that we all get to be a part of. We give our lives to you because you gave your life to us first. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for that dog. Bless us as we go our way now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed. Sign up for something. Don't forget to go go through all your storehouses and all your barns and find stuff for the garage sale this weekend. It's going to be legit. I love you guys. God bless you. Get out of here. The 11 a.m. service is coming in hot.